yeah. Here we are, Felix and Al. We are back with a new recording station. Yeah, it's got some laugh tracks. Ha 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 ha. It's got some many sounds like. And uh, we can do it all with this machine. It's the Rodecaster Pro, man. It's so clean. And if you want, we can play this sound. Yeah. Many, many sounds at our disposal. We can play clips and music. It's incredible. Thanks for joining the ride. We are upgrading. Up, 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 upgrading. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Welcome to Beyond Words. Thank you. And we promise, uh, since this is a novelty, we're going to use these cheesy sounds for now. I don't think they're cheesy at all, man. This is amazing. They're amazing. We actually have a live audience. Yeah, we sure do. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and uh, we thought about you know changing the intro song to something more like this. But uh, we decided... It's not the 90s anymore, so... It's like the walk-in for friends, like they're coming in the coffee shop. <laughs> that guitar music. Bling, 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 bling. Here we come beyond words. <laughs> 90s guitar rock, pop rock, like uh, Goo Goo Dolls, Third Eye Blind, Matchbox 20. Uh, they, they all had that kind of that same kind of sound, you know? They really did. You were, you were just a young lad in those days. I was a young whippersnapper. <laughs> I started growing after that. <laughs> you sure did, my lad. <laughs> So here we are. Uh, this is episode, I think it's 33, man. It's 33. Yeah, it's a good number. Oh, snap. We t- our next big number will be 1111, so it's going to be a while, but we'll get there. Uh, well, 44. 44, 108. 108. 77. 418. 418. 333. We missed 23. We didn't say, did we say Michael Jordan on 23? I don't know. The number 23, too. Remember that movie? Oh, yeah. I think we did. I think we, during 23, we talked about that number, the number 23. Oh, yeah. With Jim Carrey. Yeah. Oh. 23. That was, um, I think, maybe we were still in, that was still in Wadon before. That was pandemic times. Pan- pandemic times. Yeah. Post Iboga. We were. Po- during the lockdown. Yeah, that was kind of in the middle of it. Didn't we start this during the lockdown? The first day, the first, our first recording was right in the middle of the worst of the lockdown. Like in May or something, or yeah, June. Yeah, and there were still like roadblocks and it was kind of sketchy to walk around because people would not really throw rocks at you but pretend like they would. Wow. <laughs> people were running away from us. <clears throat> wow. I want to hear um, a clip from that first episode. <laughs> we have this new device. <laughs> I just want to hear what we sounded like. Um, uh, I'm just going to play a random little sequence from it just to know what was it like back then. What were we talking about? Who were we back then? Who were we, man? Episode one. Plant medicines. Oh, we recorded this, I think, in your in the room, indoors. I think it started with movie quotes. This is uh, the clip. From Howdy, friends. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the show. I'm going to skip ahead to 3333. We have a jujitsu squad we've formed. Oh, we do. You don't want to mess with this neighborhood. We could, that's another can of worms, jujitsu. Oh, yeah. We talked about cans can of worms. Can of worms. And, that's what Yeah. It was. And then we can just, you know, looking up at this mountain, there's a Oof. massive mountain that. I mean, anyway, we're, we're, let's just go live. Uh, 
I'm going to get carried away with this device. So we, now we can play clips if we want to. We could even have, you know, maybe eventually we could have people call in. We can have, uh, we can do live shows. This this device opens up a whole new. We could do call-ins. That'd be amazing. Yeah, we could do call-ins. Yeah, people call in and ask questions or join the conversation because it's better than Zoom. Because with Zoom, there's always that delay. But if people are calling in and I can connect the phone to the device here, I think that we will be a smoother connection experience. Yeah. We could do a whole Q&A episode. Tell us what you think about that. You guys yeah. should let us know. Let us know. Email us. Uh, hey, let's do a little our little uh, sponsor segment here. We're sponsored by ourselves. And our wives. <laughs> we are sponsored by our friends and our families here mm -hmm. in Wadon. Um, yeah, if you guys ever are interested in doing, guys and gals are interested in doing ayahuasca, uh, this incredible plant medicine that we talk about very often here on the podcast, here in Wadon in a very close-knit setting in a smaller group, um, definitely check us out at www.bodyofprana.com. One word, no capitals. How do you spell uh, prana? P R a n a body of prana prana like energy and uh if you go to our page mana rao so body of prana forward slash mana rao you can see all our offerings that we have there safa also offers her private sessions with people um i'll be offering private sessions with people at a distance as well uh, so definitely check it out or you come down to peru and join one of their retreats yeah hang out in person hang out in person i met a couple of you guys i, I really enjoy yeah. having you guys in the the ceremony i met a few yeah yeah uh awesome man and uh martin i also offer uh work i offer tobacco work ceremonies and diets and um i don't have a website i'm a little behind the time so you can just email our podcast email felix and al felix and al at protonmail.com is Anne spelled out or is it it's spelled out okay. yeah and my wife offers uh mentor mentorship uh, sessions like one-on-one -on -one work and she also offers breath work sessions which she can do in person or remotely and you can find her at martawonderlust.com martawonderlust.com wonderlust and I actually do have a lot of questions about tobacco I've done a one tobacco ceremony with Ben in the US and it was actually almost it was very psychedelic for me Mm -hmm. Like it was like being in an ayahuasca ceremony in a lot of senses. And, and I want to know what you're looking for in those spaces and like, what does it do for you and how does it, like, how do you utilize that incredible plant medicine? Yeah, man. Uh, this is a good question because I often, I never really, I don't talk about tobacco much. Um, so you drank with Ben and Ben trained, Ben trained under the same uh, lineage and teacher as I, uh, Mr. Ernesto Garcia of Iquitos, and uh, you can, he's a quite a character. You can find him on YouTube. Just look up Ernesto Garcia Tabaquero. Um, anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, and I think tobacco is used differently in different traditions. I know some Shipibos will use tobacco. Um, you know, they'll offer diets with tobacco, or they'll combine it with ayahuasca, they'll do tobacco purges. Um, but in the lineage that I've worked with, um, it's a medicine that is recognized firstly for its power of just cleaning and clearing, uh, the body. So 
firstly the body and the blood. So, I mean, tobacco is just on a very physical level. It's antiviral, antifungal, antibacterial. Um, so drinking tobacco can really clean things out in the system, in the stomach. And then energetically, it's a, it's a, it's a cleaner, it's a clearer, it's a purifier. So, you know, if someone just has um, a he- heavy energy that they're carrying or if they've experienced some kind of like brujeria, which is, you know, witchcraft and um, they've had some funky energies uh, put on them, uh, whatever, whatever it is in the energetic realm, tobacco just can really expel and clear all of that. So um, it's also a, in many traditions, including the lineage that I learned from, it's viewed as a real, uh, a bridge between our world and the world of spirit. And, you know, the smoke is used in that way. Shipibos, I understand, will also work with the smoke in that capacity of connecting with spirit, of connecting with intention, of bridging our personal intention and delivering it to the spirit realm. Um, uh, so, you know, in the lineage I learned with, it's it's also about that. It's about um, connection with the spirit realm, with God. Uh, it's... You know, I, I think both of our teachers kind of say the same thing when they say todo es mental, todo es china, todo es china, everything is mind. And so tobacco, while, you know, a lot of people experience it as a very physical medicine, um, it's, it's, a, everything is mind. And so it's also a purifier of the mind of um, negative thought programs. And um, it just, it just, it's an, it's just an all around, it's a limpia todo. <laughs> in Peru, you can buy like cleaning products, limpia todo. It's like an all in one cleaner. <laughs> That's one way to look at tobacco as well. Um, and then in this lineage, there's diets as well. So, you, you know, most people would start dieting with tobacco and then include diet different trees. And the trees are, um, they serve as allies, they serve as protectors, energetic protectors. Um, so, you know, my teacher once described it as you have all these tree diets and they're like, um, they like create a, a fortress around you, really. Um, so that's one way to look at those trees. Um, I find it fascinating to just compare the different traditions and lineages and how they view these things. Um, uh, but tobacco and the lineage I'm in is very much about the palos, about the trees. Uh, and, and, you know, some other plants that are more like shrubs, but definitely different a different lineup of trees than most Shipibo traditions, although there is some crossover like White Akaspi. I know some Shipibo lineages will work with that one. And Chirisanango. Chirisanango, Toe. Um, I think, do some Shipibos work with Toe, or is that more of no, a, a lot of Shipibo for diets? Yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, uh, um, yeah, and then there's there's a bunch of trees that I dieted that are, that I spoken with Shipibos about, and it's not something that they work with. And vice versa, there's plants that people's work with that aren't in the tobacco lineage. So, um, yeah, so it's, I think the, the goal is the same. The outcome is the same in terms of like why we do this work and what it can offer, but it's a very different way in my view. And maybe you can correct me if you have a different perception, like the Shipibo work is really like a, it's a very, it's a work of precision. It's a surgery and, and you know, the way that you work, um, you're like a skilled surgeon technician in a way working with energies or the plants more so the plants the plants (laughs) offer that to you so that work comes through you uh whereas with tobacco it's um 
like when I'm working, it's more, you know, I'll do a consultation with a person and just feel out the person and different ways of doing that. Just firstly, to determine if tobacco is safe for that person, understanding their health situation, feeling their, their pulse, feeling their energy. Is it safe to offer them tobacco? Because it, you know, tobacco can be, uh, dangerous if it's served in, uh, in an unskillful way or served to a person who isn't ready to drink it or they have health conditions. So, you, you know, you have to be wise around that. And, um, and then it's more about, uh, I'm holding space and I'm offering prayer, uh, but then allowing just the medicine does its work. Um, so it's less, the tobacco isn't involved through me like it is, like the plants are with you in terms of you're sitting in front of people and, and singing ikaros. Uh, that's not in the lineage of the tradition that I've learned from. So, yeah. But there is still, <clears throat> you know, in my experience, my one experience, I should have more experiences, yeah. but in my one experience, it was very much, it felt directed because that plant is inside of you and it's cleaning you. <clears throat> and Ben was directing me to do like a certain breathing exercise as well as my body started to warm up. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 Totally. Um, yeah. It, it is directed in a way. It's just that, and I guess you would say the same, but I'm not doing, I'm not directing it except for I'm holding the space and the intention and the diets that I have helping to hold the space. And there are certain practices to do during the ceremony that we've been learned the same as me. And so the breathing practice, uh, and, um, yeah, just letting it work through the body. And when I've drinking tobacco for myself, every experience is different. Sometimes it's very physical and quite intense physically. And sometimes it. Uh, it opens up to some, like you say, kind of a psychedelic experience that I would compare more to Bufo in a way for me. Like I don't have visions so much with Bufo. I didn't have visions, but I was in another realm and tobacco uh, at times has taken me there. So, yeah. Is there some chemical psychedelic component to it? Cause it does feel like a psychedelic in a lot of ways. Um, I not, not in the chemical makeup of it. Uh, I think it's more of, what it brings the body and mind state to so that you access what feels like a psychedelic state through your own mind state, through how the medicine interacts with your body and mind and through what it clears out and opens space for in your experience. Because, you know, I, th I think that uh, people achieve psychedelic experiences just through meditations, for example, or in a dark retreat. I don't know if you've ever heard of people going to dark retreats and they have DMT releases spontaneously. So these states are achievable through other means. And I think tobacco can help to trigger the bodies uh, getting into that state. So, And are you looking for anything particular in the purges or is it like you just want them to purge or like, I mean the physical aspect, not necessarily the spiritual or the psychedelic or the mental aspect, but more like, cause I'm, when I did it, I drank this cup of tobacco juice, not a full cup, but a very small cup. And waited to I started feeling nauseous started feeling really hot a lot of mental stuff was coming up physical things um again very much like ayahuasca and then and then I purged but he was waiting for me to purge more so I was drinking more water on top of that and I don't know if there's like something specific you guys are looking for it's more to understand the tradition more and it's interesting that you had kind of an ayahuasca like experience and I think that's also because you have so much ayahuasca in you even if you haven't drank it it's just like part of you so it's going to activate that uh i you know for me personally I, i'm not necessarily looking for something specific with each person everyone's different but it's just more like feeling into what's going on so someone might purge 
but I can just sense, I just, just tune into their body and I just sense there's more to come. And so I'll encourage them to drink more water. There's a lot of water involved with tobacco. Um, some people don't purge, you know, or they purge other ways. Um, and, but the vast majority of people purge and while that's not necessarily the goal, it's definitely, uh, in most cases, once the person drinks, I'll, I can just tell that that's going to come and, you know, I might have to work with the person to get help to get it to happen. Uh, cause tobacco is probably the most purgative thing I've ever drank. You know, it's, I generally purge every time within five minutes. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty strong. Yeah. But it was also, it felt very cleansing. Like I felt very light afterwards, which yeah. is really nice. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's what, how I feel generally too. And the next day I feel very clear. Uh, it's a beautiful medicine. I think tobacco gets a kind of a bad rap because of the way it's been abused and industrialized. But uh, before all of that, before Marlboro, Marlboro is a, it was a medicine. It was used for connecting with spirit and cleaning the body and uh, cleaning energies. And uh, that's what it was always used for until a hundred years ago, you know? So, so can you explain a bit more about the difference in what North American tobacco is and why we, why you utilize this t- type of tobacco and what, what is this type of tobacco? What is mapacho? Uh, yeah. Mapacho, the Latin word is nicotiana rustica. And it's, it's, it's a different strand of tobacco than what you find in commercial cigarettes, which is generally, I think, nicotiana Virginia, they call it, or nicotiana Americana. Like there's different names for it. Um, and the mapacho, the nicotiana rustica that we use here is a much darker tobacco. Uh, it smells differently. Uh, uh, cigarette tobacco is a much lighter, kind of almost a blonde type of light colored tobacco. My teacher said, I asked him, like, what's the difference? He said, the tobacco that's used for cigarettes, even if you smoke it just pure without the additives, that's tobacco for relaxation. Whereas mapacho is tobacco, it has a much more stimulating, like, uh, different kind of effect. Uh, so one, he that's just just his view. One for re- relaxation, the other is for medicine. And um, But I understand that North American, uh, and, you know, Native Americans, indigenous people would use, I think, the North American strand for their rituals. So this one only grows in in the jungle. I think you could plant it in any jungle, but you need a hot, humid, tropical climate to grow the, uh, the mapacho, the rustica. Do you use strictly dried tobacco like, or do you use the raw plant as well? Or is it just like, what's the difference for you? Uh, yeah, I've never used just the raw. I mean, I've seen the plants, uh, since I haven't lived in the jungle, I've never grown them, but in the jungle you can buy, um, the maso, which is like, um, it's cured tobacco that's uh, uh, just condensed into a big log and you cut that and it's very fresh, you know, and it's just pure tobacco. So I just work with that and the mapachos, you know, which are just pure tobacco wrapped in paper. Um, but to make the medicine, I use the maso. Yeah. Cool. It looks like a giant cigar. <laughs> <laughs> wrapped in, I don't, is that like bamboo or something um, wrapping in? Yeah, it's some kind of, I don't think it's bamboo. It's, um, vine yeah some kind of wood wood yeah i'm not sure what they use it looks like mummified tobacco yeah oh yeah i mean that wrap but then there's the wood wrap around it but yeah there's they use like yeah just um dried leaves maybe the leaves that aren't good enough to actually use for the smoking or medicine they use that to wrap the cured tobacco to keep it moist so it stays nice and fresh smells so good oh it smells so good so so sweet so 
you know, uh, there's the drinking of the tobacco, there's the tobacco ceremonies, <clears throat> and then there's the dieting of the tobacco and the other trees involved or whatever, whatever else that you involve in that. How do you determine that per person? Is there a, a strict kind of curriculum per person or is there a more open curriculum based on what the person's energetic body needs? In terms of the trees they diet? The diet, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a... There are a few trees that are kind of standard starter trees. And um, and then from there, um, I've never offered diets beyond two trees for someone. And in this tradition, typically we diet tobacco and then diet 12 different trees. And then, you know, one after the other. And then a final, like, initiation tobacco diet. So beyond those first two trees... Um, I think, it, it, you know, it's just more of like kind of feeling into it with the person, you know, and that's something that uh, I think I'd be able to comment on more once I work with someone who's at that stage. Uh, but like, for example, with my wife, I, I gave her a, a tree, not something that I dyed in the jungle, but a tree from her uh, homeland in Poland um, that I made medicine with. And yeah, it was a very powerful diet. So it's not limited to the trees that we have in the jungle in the lineage that I learned from once you, once you can make a tree medicine and connect with it, you can offer any tree diet. Um, but it's more of, yeah, beyond those first couple, like the first tree is pretty standard for most people just because of what it offers and, um, the accessibility of it. And, uh, but then beyond that, it's, it's kind of just feeling into the person and what presents itself. Um, and I still, yeah, I'm still getting experience with that part. Awesome. Yeah, it's just understanding more about these traditions. Because the thing is, is, like, if you come down to Peru and you spend a lot of time in any of these these cultures down here, everybody's got their own way of doing things, their own way of connecting to spirit. And the thing is, is we get so caught up in, like, well, you know, my teacher said this and my this teacher said that. And, like, it creates a lot of cheese made between families and traditions and it's like well how about they're just connecting to god like <laughs> exactly i mean that's like the root of dogma and dogmatic religion same is, thing and my teacher would talk about this too he's like i'll show you the way of the lineage and then your own way will grow from that but you use the lineage as a foundation and you know you follow the principles of the lineage in terms of how you hold space ethically and your prayer and your um, calling on support of the spirit and plant worlds. Um, but then, you know, I've seen other people that have learned from the same teacher and they have a very different way of opening the ceremony or, um, uh, but it's the, the, the fundamental elements are the same. They're, they're all there. It's just, maybe they'll sing in English or they'll sing in a different language. Uh, whereas I'll sing in Spanish, you know, and, um, they might offer a prayer that's like one friend offers, um, one of his opening prayers is uh, it's a Lakota prayer, you know, and uh, whereas I offer a prayer that's more in line with what my, the kind of the prayer that my teacher shares, which is um, more uh, calling on Jesus and, you know, that, that line of access to divine. So, yeah. But that's, that's what connection to spirit is. <clears throat> like there can never be, in my opinion, I feel like there can never be a perfect framework for connecting to spirit for anyone. 
I feel like it, over time you develop your way to speak to spirit. Yep. And, and it's going to look different to everybody. And somebody's going to tell you you're wrong. And somebody's going to tell you you shouldn't do this because you're not of that lineage or this lineage. And it's like, well, <clears throat> how about I'm just trying to talk to spirit? Yeah, exactly. In the language that I'm, that I identify spirit with or or the manner that's easiest and i tell people sometimes i tell people like before i start the ceremonies like you'll hear you'll hear me singing to christ and and um but it's not from a dogmatic perspective and you can connect to spirit in any way that works for you and you don't even have to call it spirit you can connect to your higher self you can connect to your deepest internal truth and knowledge uh, you can connect to buddha you can you know whatever it is for you this is just how i connect with it so and it's evolved over time you know uh so yeah that's just what i i don't like this the one that speaks to me the most is like the christ consciousness uh kind of calling on that yeah that's why <clears throat> i often find it really challenging in the podcast of like describing current experiences because they shift so much I think at any point on this path in whatever path you want to call it, but this path of trying to connect to the divine or spirit or nature, like there's this constant evolution that happens and you may find that, Oh, maybe that thing used to work and now I need something else or now I need to work in a different way. Or now like we shared in the last podcast, I used to listen to Tupac before ceremony to get in a certain mindset. Now it's a very different kind of mindset I go into ceremony with. And it's, it's like this constantly evolving puzzle that we're trying to solve for ourselves and connecting to divine and what is divine but you know i also find it really beautiful that you have not just this tradition but you have other traditions as well that you <clears throat> work in <clears throat> one being uh with san pedro and i actually had the opportunity to sit with you on bernard's land and that was really man that was very very strong that day <clears throat> it was awesome but i've also watched you facilitate at the temple and I love your facilitating style. Like if anything I could emulate would be your facilitating style. You have such an ease and a, an accessibility. Like it's not like I I've noticed in some facilitators, this kind of hierarchy that develops over time because, because of the nature of the job, but um, where they kind of cut them, they separate themselves from the people. And I always felt like you were very involved with and there with people during their processes. And I felt that when I drank with you as well, it's like, you're, you know, we're brothers. We're here together. You know, like, come on, man. You all right? You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think everyone's different. I, you're an amazing space holder too. You know, and I think that, it, I think the best, my favorite space holders are the ones who are just being themselves. They're not trying to be the space holder. You know, they're just themselves, and they have their gifts, and everyone has gifts. You don't have to be a plant medicine space holder like to have gifts. Everyone has gifts. And uh and when I facilitate I just try you know, my view is that I'm I'm not there to lead the way, I'm there to like walk by their side, you know, so because uh, I'm going through it too. And uh facilitation got a lot easier when I took the pressure off myself that I that I'm responsible for anything of what happens for people. It's more like I'm there to hold space for their experience and walk by their side rather than, you know, have any say in the outcome or how they interpret their experience. So, uh, and you know, that evolves over time too. I think like anything, you just kind of get more comfortable with it, you know? So I always found a lot of plant medicines to be quite 
uh, humorous. Like <laughs> there's a lot of, I, I've laughed harder uh, with plant medicines, you know, whether it's with ayahuasca ceremonies or in the middle of a diet with tobacco or trees, just like outbursts of laughter. And so uh, that's, that's what I really, uh, that's the aspect of these experiences that I really connect with. So I like to make it, or uh, I don't know, I just like to have fun and I like laughter. So you embody that. For sure. <laughs> that's what I appreciate because it, yeah. anytime I take something too seriously or take myself seriously, plants inevitably will just like, you know, make me laugh about that. Like it's stop taking yourself so seriously. And I think that was a journey of facilitation is just being constantly reminded that like if I would, we'd have a group meeting and I would share something in, in the early days from a place of like trying to be the teacher. And then I'd go to ceremony that night and drink and I'd like reflect on that and be like, Oh God, like what was I even going on about? And, and, uh, so yeah, not trying to be the teacher, but rather just hold space for people to find their own teacher. Uh, and, and maybe supporting people to see the difference between their inner teacher and their, you know, ego and attachments. And cause there's a subtle difference you know, that very thin line. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the challenge is like, you know, in that facilitation space, people think that they're the teacher, but we're already in the presence of the teacher, which is the medicine, yeah. whatever it is. And so people get their, you know, even facilitators, we, we get our egos wrapped into the identity of I'm the face for this. No, you're not the face for this teacher. Not at all. Yeah. This is not what drew people here. This is not, people are here to heal with the connection of these plants. Like it's not yeah, us. Exactly. In like the, in facilitating context, you have the medicine, you have the, the maestro who's, who's holding the ceremony. They're the doctor. I'm more like the physician's assistant or the, you know, give me the scalpel. I'll get the scalpel or I'll, you know, just like hold the person's hand while the operation's happening. Whatever it is, no, just metaphorically, it's more of that. It's not that I'm doing uh, in facilitation role, I'm not there to do anything. When holding space, when offering plant medicines, to me, it's like a combination of both. It's like serving the medicine, holding the space, and facilitating through the experience. So it's, um, uh, but still, I try to just maintain that uh, humility in all of it, you know, that ultimately it's the medicine. And it's the person's soul and spirit. It's about that. It's not about me, Al, at all. So, yeah. But you can see where, you know, in any kind of role like that, where people try to embed themselves within the individual's experience. And that's even, you know, trying to say what they saw. Like, oh, what you saw means this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, how do you how do you interpret this? Like, yeah. What is this? Like, take me out of this. Don't worry about what we see or what we do. Like, it yeah. should be you, period. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a challenge for other people on the other side as well. People, you know, participating. Los mm -hmm. pasajeros. Los pasajeros. Yeah. <laughs> Stepping into the Spanish. The guests. The guests, yeah. You know, Participants. They, they want, this is a, actually a big issue with the world in general. We want somebody else an authority figure to tell us what this means. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think maybe we've talked about this before, but um, to me, that's what brujeria is in a way. 
and sometimes it's not even conscious, but it's where the the ego of the space holder uh, is dominant, and uh, and egos we all have them, but egos can be tricky, and they can knowing it or without realizing it, be acting in their own self-interest or be acting out of uh, spite or wanting to cause harm to advance themselves or to get revenge or whatever it is. And so to me, that's where it's like brujería is where we use the medicine for personal reasons rather than in the name of healing and, and in the hands of something greater than ourselves. That's a good way to put it. So do you unite, you know, the practices that you have with um, mapacho or tobacco into the practices that you have with San Pedro and Wachuma, and, and how do you blend them together? Uh, that's, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I don't really, like, I'll definitely work with tobacco in a Wachuma ceremony, in my, more in the way of my tobacco lineage, and I know that all my tobacco work and all the diets are there in the San Pedro space because I I dieted tobacco in the midst of my journey with San Pedro so they're intertwined you know I think they're more intertwined just by intention and energetically uh, but the cere- the way I hold the ceremony still looks very different like with San Pedro I'll sing the Icaro of that lineage that I learned through my teacher with San Pedro Bernard and it's just a very different medicine, but tobacco is obviously inevitably present because that's my whole diets. All my diets, except for San Pedro, are through the tobacco lineage. So I just know, you know, and there have been San Pedro ceremonies where I'll call upon my trees and diets uh, for whatever reason, for what's going on in the space, and uh, just to support the space, you know. So they work hand in hand. I, that's one thing I like about tobacco is it seems to be quite compatible at least in the way i've learned with with all of the medicines you know so um but it's different if i go to sit in a ceremony like if i were to come sit with you um my intention then is to like put all of it aside and just kind of go back into the seat of the receiver you know and put aside all my uh, yeah any of that intention of holding space or anything like that so i put aside all the stuff and i just go back into the seed of receiving and learning and um yeah so yeah <clears throat> will you be offering san pedro or Wachuma? uh i yeah i'm open to it right now i'm just getting started up with tobacco again i'll have some ceremonies coming up um and uh we have some good friends several friends here that offer san pedro uh and Right now, it's not something that's uh, on the radar immediately. I was offering it uh, over the past few years, but right now it's tobacco. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. And there's Iboga, too. I'm not in a place to, like, offer it, but somehow it'll be incorporated uh, eventually. So it's another. Those three are my my go-tos, Iboga, tobacco, Wachuma, so. But it's beautiful how they've melded into your your overall medicine system, because it's like you don't just offer one thing. Like you have this large, you know, uh, reference point to draw from, or these large different reference points to draw from. I think it's the same as for you. It's like when you hold space with ayahuasca, you're not just offering ayahuasca. All of your diets and plants that you, 
they're also being they're coming through as well you know so i see it as the same way and so now if i serve any plant the others are obviously part of it they're part of me you know so uh so they're all there in some capacity even if i don't oh like blatantly call on them in the moment <laughs> they're part you know that's like you are made up of all your diets yeah like so if you're singing to someone and a plant comes through the others are still there right they're they're, they're in, hanging out they're hanging out just, you know they're just there you know? so we should uh start doing um this should just be a ceremony for people it's, you know we're here offering bufo through your audio phones right now <laughs> that was your experience <laughs> now what did you experience did you hear that? <laughs> I didn't hear that. I didn't know where that came that from. That would be cool if we could... Can you imagine? Just serve medicine through the podcast. Have you ever read the autobiography... Autobiography... Is that right? Autobiography of a yogi? Yeah, I read it in a diet. One of my three diets. It but, blew my mind. Right? But these people who yeah. can do these things yeah. at a distance... I mean, it's not that far-fetched, you know, watching Safa do her distance healings or if we need to sing to people or you pray for people. It's like... It's a real thing. You know, like we can make this happen. We just make every Beyond Words this bufo experience for you. <laughs> you put your headphones on and then all of a sudden... <laughs> <laughs> lay down when you listen. And make sure to lay down. Oh, we need the soundtrack though. Yeah. His soundtrack was epic. He would have... Wasn't it like Tibetan chanting or something? Like... Didn't he have like a space launch too? Five, yeah, yeah, four. yeah, yeah. He did, <laughs> and then we go into this like, like Latin American guitar song. <laughs> this is this is what we first did. Bufo. He had like a iPod playing music above your head, above I your think. head. Yeah. <laughs> and he had this device like on a string that he would spin around, and the air going through it would make the, like this whoa, whoa, whoa. Such a cool, cool yeah, sound. He's he's a cool dude, Julio Bufo. I call him Toad Man. I think in my phone he looks he's like Julio a toad. Bufo. He does look like a toad. He, I mean, he, yeah, I mean, he's. That's such a powerful. I mean, they're all powerful in their own way. But that one is just such a blaster. And he would just, on his own, he talked about it like just he could really navigate that realm. You know, just like anything, you get enough experience in it. But to, to be able to navigate the bufo realm, and you know, he said he talked about it a little bit. I think you know where he could just like choose to go places. He could direct his soul is spirit in that realm like whereas for me it was just like blast off and i have no say over where we're going it's it's a slingshot yeah a slingshot yeah <laughs> you're on the other side and you're like oh wait, yeah what <laughs> yeah i'm here someone i was uh part of my work involves i i do um i have calls uh screening calls for people wanting to do retreats with ayahuasca and just to make sure that they can, you know, be supported and it would be a safe place for them. And, and sometimes, and recently someone asked about uh, the cultural appropriation question, whereas like, can, can you speak about, uh, you know, cultural appropriation? I mean, this is a bunch of white people coming down and, she asked about the power dynamics and I was like, what does that even mean? 
And, um, but I, it, that question really triggers me. <laughs> and so it, it took a lot of work to just like, okay, how can I respond to this? Not from the trigger, but from just a place of like my honest view on the situation, you know? And I think some people have this view that I just think is triggering that, that, um, indigenous people, non-white peoples and indigenous peoples are victims and, uh, that somehow people are coming here and stealing from them. And if like, we've gotten to know these people, like whether Shipibos or other uh, people in Peru who offer their medicine, who offer diets, and they are willingly happy to share the ones we've worked with. And uh, they're not victims. I think if anyone's a victim, it's the person coming with the mentality that the the other people are victims. That's you're a victim of a mentality. Um, and if you, and this whole like racial question of like the healers I know, the Shapibos or the, my teacher, like they don't care how much like melanin is in my skin. <laughs> they like, they see souls that are coming for healing and learning and that's it. So this whole like racial question is just not a thing. Uh, at least with, the people I know and uh, it's yeah it's just an interesting phenomenon right now this whole topic of race and uh, it's, I guess it's the whole woke movement that I think is dying I think people are kind of like shut up <laughs> like we're done with this it's really stupid uh, but anyway I don't know why I brought that up but um, just as we talk about how we've learned and who we've learned from um it just reminded me of that question that I've just sat with a lot and I just don't get it because when I go to these people, it's like they're willingly offering their teaching uh, because if it weren't for all the people coming from overseas and visiting, a lot of these traditions might slowly die because a lot of people uh, in Shipibo communities and others have trended away from it, you know, uh, being enticed by the, the, the city life and the modern life and, culturally appropriating Western culture, <laughs> you know, if you want to put it in those terms. Uh, so I think it's important. There's like a symbiotic relationship happening where people are coming who want this, who want to learn this, who want to heal with this. And that's the reason it's not just staying alive, but it's growing again. It's expanding. And, and in some cases it's not expanding in a very skillful way. Uh, but in a lot of cases it is, and it's important. I think it's needed right now. So, uh, I just, yeah, I just don't see the, I don't understand the question, really. It's all in people's heads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> but I mean, you know, from my personal experience in going and spending time in the village, and I know from your experiences as well, it's like, when I go into the village, like the first time I went to the village, the Shipibo village, Nueva Batania, <clears throat> there were 800 Shipibo there. It was a quite a full That's village. A big one, yeah. It's a huge village. Yeah. And in this village, like everyone was there. They were working in their chakras, their gardens. <clears throat> you know, like people were there in their village. As time went on, as I would go back, there would be less and less and less people. The issue being, they wanted TVs. They wanted new cell phones. They wanted new moto taxis. And they don't make a ton of money living in the village. There's not a ton to offer there. 
in their community. A lot of it they do on trade at times, you know. And so, you know, these people are, the Shibibu are leaving their village to go to the city to try and make money, to try and live a life that they think is affluent, that they've been taught by a culture that's toxic, that's ill, that's very ill. So over time, there's several families that are part of our family and they're all kind of there with us, their kids and, and everyone. And I remember talking to some of the kids, I'm like, hey, you know, why don't you come and drink uni with us? Why don't you, why aren't you out there dieting? They're like, oh no, I don't want to do that. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, I want to go to, you know, university. I want to study something very different, you know, architecture or so forth and so on. And as we kept coming back and as we started bringing more groups, they were like, well, why are you guys so interested in this stuff? Why are you so interested in my culture? It's, it blows my mind that you guys are fascinated with our cultures. <clears throat> why are you interested in ours? <laughs> exactly. Why is this much more you can see we're human. ill. <laughs> we're all ill. <laughs> this is what happens when you <laughs> go to university. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you become opinionated and lost. Um, and over time, like I was talking to one of the Sui's brothers, my teacher's brothers, and he's like, you know, it's really sad that my kids, they, they tell me they don't want to learn Shibibu. They don't want to speak Shibibu anymore. They only want to speak Spanish. Spanish isn't our language. That's not our culture. You know, he was yelling at his kid. He's like, no, you should be speaking Shibibu. You are Shibibu. You are not Spanish. But um, so it's sad. It's sad to see this kind of falling away from this culture. But what I'm trying to get to is that, you know, as we br- we're bringing more people out who are very, very interested in this culture, very fascinated with what they're, not just their culture around plants or psychedelics, or, <clears throat> but also their culture, like their dance and their traditions and like their language itself, they started to rekindle that same interest. They started to bring out like their clothes and their, you know, their traditional garb and show us some of their dances and teach us some of their like traditional songs because it's like, oh, like these are really precious things. Like why are we letting go of these things to potentially become ill like these people who are coming down here to heal, you know? And that's for me like one of the bigger symbols of we're not, you know, I think because of this interest in this culture, we're not going there to like rob their culture and be, make it our own. We're going there because we genuinely respect and care for these people and their beautiful culture and their beautiful language and their incredible wisdom about plants. You know, and <clears throat> the thing they I've had many many different maestros say to us he's like, you know, a lot of them say, yeah, this western culture is very ill. It's very very sick. And of course it needs medicine now. And and there's a story that we often share at the temple of like, you know, a hundred years ago, ayahuasca was not meant to be given to the to the pasajeros or the patients coming through. Like it was meant to be given only to the maestro. Only the maestro would drink and then he'd sing to you or she would sing to you. And then you're healed and you go home and have a great life. <laughs> but the, the pl- end. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Clap. <No. laughs> but But the plants... The spirits came to them and said, hey, the earth is in trouble. People, humanity's in trouble. This, everyone needs to drink me now. We need to share this knowledge. The vine needs to grow. It needs to spread. And they have this analogy of the vine growing up, you know, through Central America up into North America and, you know, eventually helping to heal um, people, more people up north. 
So it's a challenge. Like, you know, is it our illnesses that's creating these ideas that, you know, somebody is in pain when they're not, it's our own pain that we're projecting outwards. Cause that's, that's what we're trapped in is this idea of, I need to be responsible for your pain, whatever that is, you know? And then in the Shipibo culture, like a lot of the pain actually came from the Spanish and didn't come from, you know, Westerners. It's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this whole, I mean, just this whole idea of cultural appropriation, that's, that's what humans do anyway. We emulate and we learn from each other, right? So on an individual level, just take it down to the individual, uh, you know, we are, our personality and our views are influenced by our friends and our family. And uh, on a larger level, I mean, look at all the amazing things that have come from cultures uh, sharing their gifts with one another. The one that comes to mind is kind of unrelated, but uh, Marco Polo went to China and he brought back uh, noodles and look what Italian food became. It's amazing. That's a great example. That's amazing. And I'm sure people have canceled Marco Polo. I'm sure if you dig into him, there's things to cancel him about, but he did bring back the noodles. So, uh, and this is just what we do as humans. So why is it inappropriate just because we share between people who have different colors of skin? It's just completely retarded. It's racist. It's dumb to, to think that that's not okay. And, um, and like you said, you know, I, I witnessed the same thing. It's like, like, like in the, in your Shipibo community, they see through your eyes, the value of what they're offering because we take it for granted. We take our own stuff for granted. If we live with it our whole life. Oh, my father and grandfather and mother, they all served ayahuasca. Like it's been your whole life the whole time. And so sometimes you need to see others uh, from outside your community show you how amazing that is and appreciate it for you to realize it. And I imagine that there's now probably generations of Shipibos that are seeing that and that they do want to learn and continue these uh, super valuable, important traditions. And it's not just Shipibos. It's like all these quote unquote wisdom keeping traditions of, you know, I just know about ones in South America, but they're in Colombia and Brazil and they have so much to offer and it's only through sharing with outsiders uh, from their outside their communities that that this wisdom is put to good use. You know, uh, we don't live in an isolated world anymore where different communities only are amongst themselves and rarely interact with anyone else. Now we're completely interconnected, and so uh, we ha- like the only way forward is to to share <laughs> share the medicines. Well, we need the knowledge because obviously what we're doing in North America isn't working. Like we have a country that's completely divided. Everyone's got their own opinions, fighting against their own opinions, fighting against others' opinions. And a lot of people are suffering from mental illness. A lot of people are like, that's the new pandemic is mental illness. Now what's caused the mental illness? Where is the root cause of this mental illness? Well, our society period disconnection from spirit. I for sure. And plant medicines help to bring one back. And I think that there are, even from our culture, amazing traditions and science and medicines that some people are, you know, combining them. And 
I think in some in some contexts it's very skillful of combine, com, combining. You know, there's a new psychedelic therapies, and I think it's still a work in progress in terms of how it's done. But just to, uh, you know, under using kind of Western psychological approaches, Jungian approaches, combining them with you know working with whether it's psilocybin or MDMA or certain things that um, can help open a person up. Um, you know. There's a lot. There's a lot that can, a lot of beauty and gifts that can come from all of this, and it's true. We're a very mentally ill society in the quote-unquote West. I don't even know what that means because it's like north of here and northwest, but the West. Um, but it's a lot of the world anyway, um, and it's mostly just mental. <laughs> it's just n- neurotic thoughts and programming and and a disconnection from an understanding and an experience of something greater than ourselves and our little selves. A direct experience. Yeah. Which, you know, <clears throat> for a lot of us, I think, you know, this is why we, we often talk about organized religion on here. I don't want to poo-poo organized religion. I think there's a lot of beautiful aspects to Christianity, you know, a lot of um, beautiful aspects to different as- uh, religions, but at the same time, it kind of negates the personal experience or the personal connection to the divine. And I feel a lot of people, I think we need that. I think that's an essential human necessity is to have a personal connection or a personal experience of the divine or even of hell if we need to. So we know (laughs) we need it. Yeah. I mean, I think the religion of the Western culture, American culture is it's the religion of celebrity, right? It's like, because we have an innate natural need to uh, to surrender our power to something greater than ourselves, at some point along the way, we decided to do that for other people. And, and humans are flawed. And so if our religion is celebrity and then we see the flawedness of the celebrity that we're, that is our God then our God is flawed and then we become hopeless and depressed and uh, because real God is perfect and all forgiving. And um, so, uh, yeah, we we have to reassign our allegiance (laughs) from celebrities and politicians to uh, what is beyond words, beyond human. Why do you think they're called stars? Exactly. What guides a ship? The stars. Well, these stars, these these ideas that they've, these programs they've built around us because they understand this, the essential human psyche or this core human psyche of what it desires and what it needs. I think that's the cancel culture is this, this disgust with humans. And it's like human beings are so disgusted with the fact that the people that they thought were the the godlike ones they're now they're just nitpicking for flaws in them because well obviously they're flawed they're human you should have never put all your allegiance to them in the first place why not just appreciate them for their gifts and forgive them for their humanness <laughs> and why do we have to forgive humans for their humanness well some of us need to because yeah. we're angry right yeah, I mean, it's such a trap <clears throat> that we get sucked to is like this externalizing of everything. Like our internal pains are really 
what's <laughs> throwing it outside and be like, no, it's because of them and him and her and them and I don't know who else, but it's all them that's making me upset with my life. Man, we only the only thing we can do in this world is make our own choices to decide the direction of what we need from our life. Yep. Yeah. And I just, you know, I think from my personal experience of like how quickly Western medicine for me fell short of helping me, period. And sure, like, you know, penicillin was great, but it didn't help get rid of Lyme's disease. It didn't deal with the mental, emotional aspects of it. You know, my doctor never really tried to even go near the mental, emotional aspects of Lyme disease. It wasn't addressing deeper issues as far as like what was there causing those, you know, anxieties in the present because of Lyme's disease. So I sought teachers and knowledge that was more, you know, we'd say archaic, but it's not archaic. It's actually this living intelligence of nature, which has helped me before, like marijuana, man. Marijuana tremendously helped my life. Like I had no appetite for months. And once I started smoking marijuana, I was like, oh, man, I got the munchies. I got to eat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a medicine. I mean, all these plants, uh, they become, they can become harmful. Cannabis is a big one when they're used, uh, without reverence for what it is when they're used, you know, look at a Rasta. I was in Jamaica years ago and I was in college in spring break. And instead of going to like drink beer on the beach, we went with the Rastas to the forest where they grow cannabis. And man, they it's their sacrament it's their way of connecting to spirit god and they go into a state like a trance man and they were just like sharing wisdom that i couldn't understand because of their heavy jamaican accent but i could just i just knew they were just downloading stuff right and that's cannabis like uh i think some people abuse it as an escape and so that's the dark side of it you know and um but with all of these if if we make everything into a ceremony ritual and we give praise to something greater than ourselves and we ask whatever the plant is that we're working with to help us connect to that, that's, that's where it's beneficial. So if you want to smoke weed all day, if, if you're praying all day, then I don't think that's a, you know, it might not cause any issues. Uh, but if you smoke weed all day, uh, as an escape and you stop fulfilling your responsibilities and you're, you know, just eat junk food, then might cause problems and depression down the road. Yeah, it definitely has a dark side, <clears throat> but I feel that's why we kind of sought out the traditional aspect is who knows these plants better than we do. Who doesn't abuse them? Who doesn't abuse them? Who utilizes these for greater means, whether it's, you know, Rastafarians or there's actually a church of nuns that smoke a ton of weed and they grow weed and they're huh. they're but it's all about God. They see marijuana as Mary. And so they have this whole religion based off of that, right? But they're utilizing it in a way that's a sacrament to knowledge yeah. or truth. Same thing with the Shipibo is like uni or ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is uni in Shipibo. Uh means wisdom in Shipibo. It means knowledge. Yeah. But we for some reason, they've made the uh, Quechua word more popular, which is vine of the soul. Vine of death. Vine of death. I've had so many people tell me, they're like, don't ever call it that. 
even though they'll call it that in ceremony. <laughs> but still, you know, it's... They'll it, sing, yeah, they'll say ayahuasca. They'll say ayahuasca. <laughs> ayahuasca. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, I think we're... There is, as Terrence McKenna says, the archaic revival is a necessary step in humanity's evolution. Tattooing, scarifying, piercing of body parts, taking psychedelics. These are parts of the archaic revival. <laughs> These are good parts. But is it po- like cannabis for me to you to see like how one can abuse it? You think it's possible to abuse ayahuasca and use it to escape or use it? Because I just feel like it's such a mirror that you can't escape yourself with ayahuasca. Actually, I think... Or they, uni, I should say. I wouldn't say you would go out and be like, yeah, recreationally, I'm going to do this. But I've or what I, I have noticed... Or like, I am I want to escape my pain. Mm, I wouldn't say it as that. I don't think that... Do you think anyone abuses it? In the sense of like not using it in a way that's going to cause them more harm than good? I think the harm comes from saying that is my only... Let's see here. When I, when I hear people say ayahuasca, I need ayahuasca to heal me to do this, and they're kind of negating themselves in that, and so they you know they go through workshop after right. workshop after workshop, and it's like they're drinking and drinking, and they're putting I, all the responsibility on the plant, and they think that it can only be done within the space of doing ceremony. No, the the work of ceremony. When, why we drink uni? We drink uni to see clearly ourselves. The work of uni is outside of ceremony, is living your life in a good way or in a better way or making different choices. Right. So I've seen people kind of chase like, I think it's me, I need to do ingest this to address this. No, you can address it in your everyday life if you're using this to continually seek to address this. I and mean, then of course you can. You can address these things in a powerful way in that uni space but if you're not living your life and actually relying more on that ceremony space to be your life for sure that's i think an abuse right i don't know if that's clear though yeah it is you know one thing i'm seeing uh is in the world there are a lot of people serving ayahuasca without any kind of training uh, in a you know whether it's a people tradition or not a tradition involving diets or something where they're just serving it and they're acting more as like s- facilitators, space holders, but nobody is there skillfully holding the space uh, energetically, like for lack of a better word, shamanically. Um, and I'm wondering, do you think there's any value to that? So let's say you have a really skilled facilitator and he just serves everyone ayahuasca and then just like plays music on the speaker because that happens in a lot of settings. Um, and then people have their experience and then that's that. Uh, do you think there's value to those? I think that's a psychedelic experience. I think within the traditional context, that's more of like a curación or a healing. And I'm not saying that you can't be healed from a psychedelic experience. I mean, you and I have both taken mushrooms on our own and had incredible experiences that are very healing. I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I do think that within the traditional context like you're plugging into a lineage that has the knowledge to direct and guide the person towards either greater realizations or greater healing so if it's kind of a general blank slate it's kind of like being thrown out into the ocean with a bunch of floaties 
and you see where you end up. Right. And if a bunch of sharks come, then you're kind of screwed. Whereas if you have a skilled person, they can, we can know, chase steer the sharks you off. or steer you away from the sharks or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. That's, this is why we diet. This is why we've, you know, both of us have trained within a tradition is because we know there's a necessity in having a certain level of knowledge or protection within that system mm-hmm. because there are bad spirits out there. There are, you know, um, bad people <laughs> who want to send bad energy. There's, there's all kinds of factors that can happen. There are big energies that come out of people, you know, and from my personal experience, what I've noticed when people who just kind of go into a general kind of setting where somebody plays music and they're, you know, they may be a great space holder, but I noticed that the individual that has come from that space to us is very dirty energetically because maybe the energy that's coming out of other people, they're purging into the space. They're releasing managed. It's not managed. You have to move that energy away from everybody so they can keep, you know, I'm not going to work in a carpentry shop that's full of crap on the table. I'm going to make sure to clear the table off so I can start working with the tools I have. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause I mean, I've heard, I've heard some people have beautiful experiences in those settings and I've heard a, a lot of horror stories too in terms of something came up and they felt lost and alone and no one, they just felt the space wasn't held. So, you know, I'm just curious about that because there's more and more of that happening as ayahuasca spreads uh, around the world. And, and I guess it's the same for any quote unquote psychedelic. It's just that in our culture where mushrooms is a thing you do with your friends or by yourself, you don't, I don't know of anyone holding mushroom ceremonies where they're offering uh, energetic space holding and clearing the space. Like that doesn't happen. Maybe it happens in Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. Um, And I've had, I know from my ayahuasca experiences uh, that I've purged and had to clear out some of that kind of ceremony where I would take something and go at a music festival or at a weird club and I'd pick stuff up and I didn't even know it. And then I was carrying it around for years and then I'd purge it out and have memories of those experiences come up. It's like, oh, like I picked up so, uh, like some, just in some just bad set, set and setting, you know, and, and not understanding like that I'm actually opening myself up uh, to, to everything around me and just taking it all on. And then, and then I don't know why I'm depressed for five years, you know, afterwards where it could have just been some simple thing I picked up that's just, just carrying around this like, energy this quote-unquote demon is just sucking on my energy and i'm just carrying it around and i have no idea and that's another i think talking about the mental illness of our western society it's just a lot of people walking around with you know from the energetic view they're just carrying around all these like energetic parasites and there's no awareness that that's something that exists and that's something that can be healed and cleared and a lot of people they'll go to an ayahuasca retreat with you or somewhere else where it's skillfully held and they'll leave feeling much better. And it's, it's not necessarily ayahuasca. It's the fact that they got to a space that could clear that shit off of them. (laughs) And so they go home and they like to talk about how they feel lighter and clear. It's because the, yeah, a lot of things were cleaned and cleared away in a skillful way and lifted from them. And so many people are walking around. If you could put goggles on and really see, and it's just, they're walking. You know, and sometimes you just get a vibe from a person. You can just tell, right? And I think diets help to really feel a person. You just become more and more sensitive and aware. And it's like, wow. You know, I'll walk by people and be like, oof, they're really, man, they're carrying so much, you know. 
may I hope one day they decide to drink some medicine. I hope pray for them so they can feel better. <laughs> or, or finding a good energetic healer, you know, from a, some tradition, like even the Quechua's here <clears throat> or the ghettos here. They'll do some big clearings. They do massive clearings. Yeah. And it's not involved with, if you don't feel inclined to take it's just prayer. medicine, it's prayer and rocks and, mm-hmm. you know, baths. And there's other traditional ways to remove these these entities yeah clearing and cleaning is in traditions all over the world have rituals for that you know and uh that's very accessible whereas in western modalities you go to a therapist to try to talk your way through this stuff meanwhile the parasite's still leeching on you and bringing you down (laughs) 99.99999% of the time somebody comes through our space there is a negative entity attached to them in some way or another. Yeah. It's just, it's so common to us. Like it, you know, it sounds like, it. yeah, it's, it sounds like such a bad thing to people outside of the tradition or people who are not familiar with good spirits and bad spirits, but it's so common. Do people have good entities attached to them? For sure. What are, like, like you can have spirit guides or, um, right. past relatives or, um, or just, and with good intentions guiding you and protecting you and angels yeah there are there there are good and bad i mean it's it's so much like star wars there's the good side light side and the dark side when you clear something or help when the plants work through you to clear something off someone where does it go where does that parasite entity go so it depends on the kind <laughs> they go back to their dimension their realm mm, sometimes you have to like work with that same entity until it transmutes into something. So you're trying to heal that entity that's caused that pain. That's a a kind of an echo or a program of pain or depression or uh, envy, fear, whatever it is. So those can be at times transmuted. Sometimes they have to be completely removed. And sometimes it's almost like, um, like seeing a venomous snake and you kind of behead it. (laughs) be gone with it yeah right and when you remove it where does it go the plants eat it the plants eat it wow Mm. oh yeah it's like food for the plants it's a fertilizer because the roots are in the earth in the dark in the underworlds the underworlds it's eating all these wow yeah the plants are basically recycling centers nature is the key as far as how we should mimic existence all right they wow because they eat both light and dark they eat everything they eat death they eat life they create life they create death even uni the vine will climb up a tree and eventually kill it and drag it down to the earth right wow never it's one of those moments of like seeing (laughs) the it's not even a metaphor it's just like the physical existence of the plant is a perfect representation of how they master plants support ceremony work and healing work. And the system, there's like an overall uh, biological system that's involved with any plant. Any plant has its own little microbiological, I don't want to say microbiological, but a biological system around it. Plants live in families and in neighborhoods so to speak so certain trees have certain animals that are with them 
like some trees have owls and eagles Jeez. that live there and yeah um some jaguars like to live in certain trees or insects live at the bottom of these trees so not only are you working with the tree but what lives in the tree what kind of water does it drink does it live in the river does it live in the lakes does it live uh does it have really big roots does it have really small roots so this whole does it have accompanying plants or what kind of wind does it feel like there's a huge like this is why diets are so important there's such a large library of information that's involved in one tree and its knowledge and so for example if there are spirits that look like little worms or like grubs and they crawl out of people and they have mucus everywhere and they're quite gross well if you call a bunch of birds to eat these the birds that like these mucus or mucus causing grubs they'll eat them oh wow have you ever seen um i had one of my early ceremonies like i don't know if they came out of me but they were all around me these like crab like Oh, I've, yeah. I've seen spidery yeah. crab things. Yeah, those are awful. There's, we call, I, I have to, I have to say it in English. I call them crustaceans. <laughs> yeah, crustaceans. And in that ceremony, I had had a few ceremonies by then. I still hadn't done any dias, but I was at the point where I wasn't afraid of it. I was just like, but I, I was at a point where I could just not allow it to come to me. It was just staring. There were actually several of them, and I, I just kind of laughed at them. I was like, "Get out of here! Like, what are you?" Because I could tell, you could just feel there, and it's like, not good. They're parasitic, no? Yeah. Interesting. And so, yeah, that's that's fascinating, Felix. That's why I love talking to you, because if I talk to a, you know, a Shipibo person, they have the same understanding, but maybe different words or words that I don't understand or ways of explaining it. And one of what I really appreciate about you and your gift is that you can explain these things in my language you're a bridge in a way, you know, mm -hmm. so, and you've experienced the life of an American and then you come here. And so you understand, you know, in a way more than better than anyone of like what people who are coming are looking to heal and because you've experienced it firsthand and you can explain it in ways that they understand. I think that's amazing. Like I learned so much, uh, just hearing like how you work and it's really cool, man. Hey man, that's fascinating. I'll tell you a really weird spirit. This is one that I've seen on people before. You know the sign for, I think it's, no, it's not Kiss. Who is it? Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones. The, the lips, yes. Yeah. With the, the tongue, tongue sticking out. I've seen a spirit that looked like that. Whoa. Just that. Around the person? Around the person. Eating their energy. Ooh, yeah. so it's just a mouth? Yeah, I mean, it was just, yeah, this floating lips with a tongue sticking out. and Yeah. What? Wow. Is that one you have to just cut chop his head off? Take his teeth out? Well, this is the it's the challenge of figuring when you see these new types of spirits that come through is figuring out first what do they do? And then second, like how are they affecting the person? And third, is it good or bad? Fourth, does it need to go like do I need to kill it or do I need to transmute it or do I need to feed it to something or wow wow it's like a puzzle so are there some that look bad but actually are good for sure and vice versa and vice versa like never judge a book by its cover like I, I had one experience with a person who had this really beautiful looking woman behind them they were kind of like glowing and white and the more I looked at the face like I was kind of concentrating on the face when I was working with her and the more I looked at the face, the face started to transform and started to like grow fangs and turn into like a Whoa. siren. It was like, yeah, so trying to consume me and this person. 
Wow. I, there's so much I want to ask you. This from my own ceremony, stuff I never understood. Like for a long time, I in well, there was a long stretch of ceremonies where I'd go into a place, and it was just like Asian people, and all I could think of was like opium den, and everyone in the ceremony would transform into this like opium den. It was dark and depressing, and everyone was just like addicted. Kept going there, no idea why. All I can say, think was like, maybe it's a past life or maybe I just picked up on some energy of this during my travels in Thailand. I don't know like what it was. But, and then another one that was always common, I drink ayahuasca and the whole ceremony, there's like, there's like two figures, like two women just on my peripheral vision. And if I turn, they would remain in the periphery and they're just always there. And they're just kind of like talking, but I don't know what they're saying, but they're just like, they're just there. And I'm just like, get out. Like, I didn't want them there. <laughs> you know, eventually it was no longer happening. But those early ceremonies, there was so much of my own mind, so much of my own stuff, just like clouding the whole experience that I couldn't see anything. And, and I didn't know that's what it was. I just thought, oh, I'm just having a weird trip or something. But in retrospect, now that I look back on it, it seems like I had these presences around me that I don't think were good. They didn't feel good. They felt, you know. But that's a part of the investigation, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so as an individual experiencing these things is starting to interact with these surroundings, whether it's an environment or people or crabs, whatever it could be, interact with them. Are you here to benefit me? Are you not here to benefit me? Yeah. You know, like, what are you? Who are you? Why are you here? Like actually asking, and this is where a lot of Westerners have an issue coming into this world is they, <clears throat> We've never really been taught about spirits. And taught about, like, our own power over them. Exactly. Because you can, I mean, people can banish spirits on their own just by saying no. Because ultimately, isn't it a willful, it, it's a free will universe. So on some level, people have accepted those spirits, even if they're not aware of it. Yeah. I mean, at some level, they are aware of it. And this is the challenge is, like, hopefully bringing them to the place where they're aware of why they accepted this big vampire thing into their life that's eating their life away and why they're still holding on to it. And a lot of people don't want to let go of their demons because they've so embed, embedded themselves into their mindsets, into their mentalities of life. Like they give them something and vice versa. It's this weird symbiotic relationship. But at the same time, it's, it's trying to get the individual to recognize <clears throat> in that symbiosis. Is that right? how much this being is taking for what they're giving. And the, going into my con conspiracy mind, like, do you sense from working with people that there is a, a conscious effort on behalf of some people with some kind of abilities to cast these entities onto people in order to control them or in order to disempower them? Absolutely. And so do you see, like if you have a bunch of Americans come, do you see like common things on Americans because of the culture or because of the power structures there that are? De depending on the environment they're in. So Americans that <clears throat> I've noticed that come down from more of a rural, rural area or like a countryside, they have less of these kind of weird programs. People who live in the city, I find the most... Very common programs, fear, anxieties, uh, self-image problems, um, <clears throat> ideas of 
like how they should live their life based on a model that's been, you know, passed down from generation to generation to generation. I don't know if you've ever seen the smiley clown face. Yeah. Not necessarily they have a clown face, but they have this like smile, smile all the time. The behind the smile. It's okay. Deep despair. I'm okay. Yeah, everything's okay. And do these programs look like something? Do they, are they, what, what does a program look like when you see Like it? entities. They, okay, so the I would say it, the entity. Yeah, it's definitely an entity. I mean, I've seen, there's, I don't want to say I've seen, but there's. So there's a face of fear, the face of depression, the face of anxiety. Right, which is like an entity. Yeah. Because it has a function, it has a life, it has a, it's hungry for something. So it's eating all your confidence to replace it with fear or anxiety. Or it's it eats confidence and shits fear onto you. Pretty much. Oh man, that thing was on me for a long time. It's on a lot of people. That's like a huge that's a big issue. Do you ever do these entities ever try to uh, latch onto you? Always. And do they ever succeed? At some degree, yeah. I mean, sometimes I have to, like... You have to clean yourself. I have to clean my... I mean, I always have... Every night I clean myself, but... It's a challenge, and, like... I don't don't mind doing it. It's part of the job, right? It's part of the job. It's like, if I work in the sewers, I have to clean my pants and shoes and shit, but... um, Yeah, it is a challenge, like... You know, if you have... Like, I love having breaks because it's the time that I have to really actually clean myself from everything that I've picked up from 1,700 ceremonies I did the last three weeks. Um, but at the same time, it's just, like, being aware. Like, I try to be as aware pos- as possible of my mindset, my personal me. Mm-hmm. So I know my behaviors, my attitude, so forth and so on. So when that starts to shift in different directions, I have to you be know. aware of something impeding or what's changed my environment or vice versa like my dream world and watching your mind state and what you give your energy to i guess is also a way to protect yourself from being from magnetizing these because like uh, i had an experience uh in berlin last year i suddenly just got super depressed and everything was dark and i called this woman who we've worked with she's like a She's something else, man. Her name is Bettina. She's like a, she does distance healing from a very interesting place. And I called her and she's so good, man. And she's like, yeah, you have a parasite, energetic parasite. It's latched onto your, around your stomach and you probably picked it up. Maybe you were shopping and just like in not, not a great mood. And it, it latched onto that. Like it, it, it feeds on that energy and it latched on and I'm just going to clear it out. And as she's talking like I could feel it. I could feel it in my stomach the whole t- like while I was depressed. I could just feel this like pulsating energy. I knew there was something there. As she's talking, the pulsating gets lighter, and she's like, "Okay, I've lifted it out. Okay, now I'm transmuting. I'm sending it to." She has this place. She sends things for them to be transmuted, and it was gone. And I was like immediately lifted out of that. So like it's the same kind of work, and it was just. But the way she said it, it's like you. I interpreted it as like on some level I decided or I accepted that energy because I allowed myself to slip into maybe I was in a critical judgmental state or um, I let anger get the best of me. Like anger is a real one. And and these programs, entities will, will just like be like, oh, and they'll do, and they'll, you know. So it's, you know, we're talking about mindfulness and just like 
using that as a tool to just like be very aware of like what you're giving your energy to because you're if you give your energy to anger or fear you're offering food <laughs> for those types of parasites <clears throat> i think i've referenced this video or this movie a couple of times constantine have you ever seen constantine no. with keanu reeves man it's a really good symbol for how the world actually looks the deeper you go because yeah i i just want people to watch constantine and it's a bit dark it's kind of a more shadow shadowier version of reality but it's a it's got a lot of similarities to what we see in medicine work it's like these shadows these demons that live you know in this world like the the native americans have this tradition of talking about you know skinwalkers that's a real thing but we don't want to talk about it too much because you shouldn't give it power. But <clears throat> these ideas that there are people walking around that are kind of demonic, you know, they have these energies just floating around them. And like you can go to a supermarket and that person or that energy was there. This person who hates everything, hates life, hates yeah. seeing them. Oh, you see them, you know what they feel like. It's sad. It's sad to see where they are. But what they do is they poop that kind of energy everywhere. Our job... They're contagious. For sure. Our job, hopefully, for anyone who is choosing to cho like aim towards bettering humanity or bettering themselves is to lighten that load or lighten that energy, right? So you walk around, you, you see the people who walk into a room and they're Smile. fucking smiling and they're, you know, they, you feel uplifted after you've had a conversation with them. Then you've had conversations with people who are like, I'm getting more and more tired mm -hmm. and more and heavier and my thoughts are getting darker. It's like these very pessimistic mindsets. It's like, don't surround yourself with those people. They're feeding on something from you. Right. So do you think there are bad people or only people that are just overloaded with parasites and bad energies? There are bad people. There are? There are. What do you mean? What is a bad person? It's funny because I just started watching the show The Good Place. I haven't seen it. It, oh, I think I've seen a little bit. She's in heaven, right? Or it's a re no. Oh. It's a really, really good TV series. Cool. It's actually it, it addresses all these questions. What is a bad person? <clears throat> so I would say, what is a yeah? What is a bad person? A bad person is someone who consciously knows they're trying to bring people into anger, fear, hate, so forth and so on. These really heavy negative emotions who actively do so. Or actively create an environment of hatred, and envy, greed, whatever it is. They there is some conscious level to that, of like bringing people to their level. I don't know if you ever heard. You know, like, we kind of talked about it on the last podcast of um, people relate more to each other's pain than their joys. Well, that's like a big negative entity that lives in this world, right? So imagine a person who just does that. That's a bad person. I feel, and I remember. <clears throat> being a kid and i used to tell my mom i said mom you know this this guy that's a bad person and that's a good person and i talked to suey about it years down the road he's like whoa you could see you could feel the difference between what a good person is and a bad person is and there's a felt sense in that in their environment but are, is the bad person bad at their core or they simply have been compromised and taken over by bad spirits and entities but again there has to be some conscious level of right. inviting that kind of energy in so a bad person is a person who consciously invites them. I, I nodded my head, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I just can't imagine. Where do they come from? 
I think it comes from pain. I think it goes back to what we said about the hero and the villain come from so the same pain. background. It's pain. So the ultimately they're not bad. Before their pain, they're not bad. No. Right. But how do they manage the pain? Nobody teaches us how to manage pain or sadness or depression or any of that. Can a bad person be turned into a good person? Absolutely. If they, but they have to want it. And a good, a good person can become a, can, can become a bad, bad person. person. I feel like a lot of the bad people are the ones running the world. Well, again, it goes back to media. What is the media display? Pain, hurt, division, yeah. separation. The media is a big parasite. It's a massive parasite. And the people participating in it aren't necessarily consciously trying to cause harm. They're just so caught up in it. They're just... they. Well, they they feed it and it feeds them. Yeah. So what is the symbiotic relationship of media or horror movies? That's another one. Mm-hmm. Like people love to be afraid. Why? Because they have something that's hungry for fear. Exactly. But then it feeds and it bleeds into their lives and they're afraid of everything. They can't go into dark hallways by themselves and... Right. Right. Wow. Seeing the world in a whole new way. Constantine. Watch Constantine. Okay, I'll watch it. You have to watch it. It's got Keanu Reeves. Once the Stanley Cup finals are finished, I'll watch <laughs> Constantine. Just put it in picture in picture. Yeah, right. <laughs> I would have the hockey on mute and Constantine. It is a bit of a darker, like I'll say it's a bit of a darker movie. Because I, I told another friend to watch it and she was like, that was really dark. I'm like, yeah, but just understand the symbols in it and why I'm addressing this. I've come to a place, like the only thing I can watch is sports because it's neutral. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I don't feel there's any programming in it. It's just somebody wins, some somebody plays better. And everything else, like I can't, like... M- I'm sure there are great series. It sounds like you found some good ones, but so many of them, I just can't take it. I just like, I just feel like a lot of it, there's this like cultural messaging in it. And a lot of it's just doesn't make me feel good. And a lot of it's predictable. A lot of it's supposed to be funny, but it's not, I can watch comedy specials and sports right now. And maybe I'll have to dive back into the world of good movies. Just, just check out, well, Constantine for one. And then the good place, the good place. Yeah. I, da- I think I dabbled. Is Ted Danson in it? Yes. Yeah, okay. I think I dabbled in it. It's, it's not what play- you think it is. Because yeah. I, I, I tried to watch it three different you gotta times. Get in, you got to give it a few episodes. Just give it the first two episodes okay. and get you'll see what I mean. And it's, it's going to keep changing. Because it's so popular. And when something's so popular, I'm like, nah, not yeah. for me. But there's good popular stuff. It's just... Eh. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is good, too. It, I did watch that a lot of years ago. I enjoy Brooklyn Nine-Nine because it's like mindless comedy. Yeah. It's, there's no there's not effort. A deep message yeah, no. But this actually has a really good message. It actually goes into morality and the question of what is good and how does a human become good. Cool. Like it's a really beautiful, I, I've really been enjoying it. Is I it still running or is it? I think it's over. Okay. The good place, everyone. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think we should wrap it up. Yeah. Wait, that's wrong. <laughs> thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I shouldn't touch the tape deck. Um, when I touch the tape deck, it's like, or hey. no, it's more like, no, it's more like, no. There it is. <laughs> Actually, I think that whole sequence was. <laughs> a lot of my jokes are. 
Nah. Some of them are. A couple of them are. And a few of them are. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we got a new tape deck. New tape deck. New technology. New tech. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Beyond Words. See ya. Yeah, this is the outro song. Thank you to the 90s for all your generic music. Gotta love the guitar. Oh, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Woo, see ya later. <laughs> all right, peace.